Hello, history enthusiasts. Welcome to the Rural Experience in America Community Civics Through Historical Inquiry podcast. The National Council for History Education, a proud member of the Library of Congress's Teaching with Primary Sources Consortium, is pleased to present to you a series of podcasts spotlighting the public history projects created by teachers, community partners, and students from all over the United States. My name is Talia, and today I'll be talking to one of the 11 educators who participated in the first year of this project. Listen in as we learn more about how they integrated public history into their classrooms. Let's welcome to the podcast, Kim Surgent. My name is uh, Kim Surgent. I am the Social Studies Instructional Specialist for the Kentucky Valley Educational Cooperative, which is one of eight educational cooperatives in Kentucky. And so what I work with are about 25 districts in Eastern Kentucky. And what I do mostly is work with schools, especially those that are interested. Uh, well, first of all, I train in our new social state standards. But what I also do is for those schools who want to do more intense, in-depth, embedded work, I go into those schools and work with them. But I also help teachers create uh, projects that help them um, implement our new standards in a, in a much deeper and richer, more robust way. I would love to learn more about your project, Impact of Geography on a Community's Economic History. Wonderful. Um, well, the project is, I think what's really interesting is I'm having the opportunity because as structural specialist, where I'm not in the classroom, I had three, well, I actually had six teachers, but three teachers that really started the project with me, uh, three or four teachers that came to, you know, they said they wanted to use local history. Because in Kentucky and our new standards, it's part of the standards to, to teach Kentucky history. So every grade level has some type of Kentucky history, geography, economics, or civics that they, or, you know, government that they teach as part of the standards. And this group, because we all know that in the social studies classroom, geography and economics are the two disciplines that our teachers are not as prepared to teach. So these teachers really forward thinking, you know, came to me and said, we want to do a local history because I had talked to them about the possibility of using their local geography to teach the kids, um, you know, in terms of, you know, topographical aspects and things like that. But they took it a step further and they said, we would love to use local history to help our kids understand how geography and economics impact each other. They had just joined <laughs> this grant and I was like, oh my gosh, could I help you with that? Or would you guys really like to be the guinea pigs in this whole process? And they were like, oh gosh, yeah, because they're game. They're very innovative. So it, it's a sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade um, team of teachers. And so I'm working with really with just this one segment of um, the school. When you start talking about this area, because it's Ashland, Kentucky, for those of us that are older, my age and older, we know that Ashland. But, but because things have changed so drastically economically in our you know, the Eastern Kentucky region, Ashland that they know is drastically different. So what makes Ashland unique? And so this goes to the geographic impact. It's right on the Ohio River, but most importantly, it's on the confluence, as we call it. It's the Big Sandy River as it comes down and around Eastern Kentucky and comes north. It's actually a river that flows north into the Ohio. And the Ohio feeds directly into the Mississippi. So Ashland had an incredible incredibly unique position geographically. So what happens is that Ashland not only had tremendous access to coal and to timber, but it also had iron ore. There was a significant amount of iron ore in the area. So as late as the late 1700s, early 1800s, Ashland had a thriving iron ore industry. Then 
you know, it, it ends up becoming in the early 1900s part of the oil industry because Ashland Oil, and we now call it Marathon, but Ashland Oil was stationed there in Ashland, Kentucky. So you had oil, coal, timber, and iron that, you know, was centralized in this one place. It was an intricate part to the business of America. Ashland also has an ancient history. They have Adena mounds that are still located in Ashland from indigenous people that live there called the Adena. They have not been excavated and taken away. Now, some of them have. So there is an ancient history all the way through to modern history. And that's a cool thing. So this was a phenomenal opportunity for those teachers to really you know, start bringing in primary and secondary sources to teach the kids about their community and what they really come from. The students right now, as they finish up their increase, the next step that they're going to be doing is they're, they're going to deliberate about how they want to represent what they've learned. So we know that this is going to end in a virtual reality tour of their community. But what they want to do is to create QR codes because one of the things that Ashland is doing is trying to encourage more tourism. So as people come through their city, because it's, it still has a, a great deal of commerce, you know, it, especially in comparison to other cities in Eastern Kentucky. So as these people come in, the, the kids want to create 3D QR codes. They're actually going to use 3D filament. If it was just a piece of paper, you know, that's going to go away with time. But these nice little filaments, you know, plastic filaments that they, these QR codes are going to be made out of, what they're going to be doing um, is just, you know, placing them in these areas where, they, where they're going to be talking about something that happened there. So as they do that, all the people have to do is just come up, you know, scan the QR code, and it's going to have about a minute to a minute and a half of the students talking about that spot and why it's important or what it's close to that's important and the history of Ashland. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I would yes. love to learn more about primary sources that you used in your project and where you found them. Well, um, this is the really cool part. This is also going to take me to talk about the community partner that we have. We are incredibly fortunate to have uh, to work with Heather Akers and the Highlands Museum in Ashland. Creating the project, Stacy May, who is one of the teacher leaders for the social studies department at Ashland Middle School. And I'm telling you right now, speaking of Stacy, Stacy is a walking history book about Ashland. I don't think there's anything about Ashland she doesn't know. She's the one that really made me passionate about the city. But anyway, so as we were talking about it, and she said, oh, we have this great museum called the Highlands Museum. And I went, well, hello, I've got to go. And so, you know, and so I met Heather through that. And once Heather became a community partner with this, which, you know, it was amazing. And I was so grateful that they were, you know, were interested in doing that. Um, I told Heather, I said, here are our inquiry questions. Sixth grade was going to look at the Adena and seventh grade was going to look at Ashland's economic development and especially based on their geography. And then the eighth grade was going to look at the founding of Ashland, focusing on why the people who founded Ashland picked it. So that, again, that's that, geogra that geographic influence. Once I gave her you know, the inquiry focuses and told her the questions, she pulled out so many. I mean, it's amazing. We are very, again, very fortunate and that these people knew that they were important. So they created many sources. They ended up becoming our primary sources. For them, it was all about attracting more business, more commerce into the area. The coolest thing to me was this one blue book that we found. And it was actually published, I think around 1925. And it has like three or four pages of just businesses and churches and schools wow. that are in the city. And it's a really big, you know, published book. It's, it's pretty amazing. Some of the primary sources that we were able to go through. That's fantastic. Did you end up using anything from the Library of Congress? And if so, what library sources did you use? 
So it's interesting that you brought that up that I really want to talk to the Library of Congress about because it was very limited what I found there. Even when I went into Chronicling America, I found a few articles. But again, those discussions that were in the uh, Chronicling America articles tended to kind of talk about Ashland. Um, I don't want to say offhanded, but it was like, and you have this railroad that's just now built a railroad through through Ashland. But as far as having in, as in-depth as we wanted, we did not find that. You talk so much about your community partner, and that was wonderful. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your students' role in this, because I know you're working with teachers and students mm-hmm. in maybe a different capacity than some of the mm-hmm. other educators mm-hmm. this year. Well, it's pretty cool. I think that initially when I went into the classroom, they kind of look at you like, why are you here? And then all of a sudden when they realize you know a whole lot about their city, they look at you a little bit differently. So the relationships I have with those kids, because now that they realize that I have, I, you know, I'm the one that, you know, created those inquiries that they're working on and bringing those sources together and everything. There were a couple of students that were curious about some of the sources. But I think for me, the really neat part is hearing from the teachers about the, how the kids are interacting with the sources. My role in this, for the greatest part, has been to support the teachers because some of these sources are pretty tough going through some of those pamphlets and things like that, because they're so dense in terms of narrative, but you really have to help the teachers kind of understand how, you know, I I intended for them to use it, or I would use excerpts and things like that and create a separate Google doc or whatever it may be. But, but for me, my role has been to support the teachers so they can support the students the best. What I really enjoyed the most is when I got to talk to some of the students on Monday, um, just to see the amazement on their face. But I think another thing too, that I thought was really cool. And one student, you know, in particular said this is that he did not realize how important his city was at one time. There was so much pride in his voice and amazement at the same time. You're standing a little bit, you know, taller, sitting a little bit straighter, you know, that kind of thing. And I think for me that that is the power of projects like this. Fantastic. That leads very nicely into my next question, which is what are some of the rewards and benefits of completing a public history project like this? The three big words I think about are community, equity, and agency. And the reason why I think about those, like in terms of as these students develop an identity, understanding, sometimes kids want to say, especially in Eastern Kentucky, oh, we're just hillbillies. But for me, the word just, especially in, the, in terms of that sentence, is a, a great deal of surrendered power and surrendered importance or surrendered identity, even. It, when you say just, then that means what you say and what you do doesn't matter. But when you do projects like this and they start to develop that, that sense of identity through community and real, realizing who they are, that's going to lead to equity. And that now, as you start to discover things about your city, everyone's voice and everyone's understanding matters in the project. And because when you start talking about the whole community, that means every person. So that's everyone's story, the African-Americans, indigenous people, whatever it may be that are coming into the story, they start to appear. So people start to see themselves in the content in the classroom, which then takes them into the aspect of agency. And agency is all about taking ownership and not only ownership, but realizing that you have an impact in that community. Because, you know, even one of the students, the teacher told me, this one kid was talking and said, you know, what are we going to do to make it better? What are we going to do to make sure people don't forget this? What are the challenges that you you have completing a public history project? Oh my gosh, there's the big old list. How about if I just focus on one? The biggest challenge, depending on where, because I have done projects similar to this five or six other times, depending on where you do it, there can be a tremendous desert in terms of sources, especially primary sources. Because as communities disappear, 
so do people. And when people disappear, and sometimes people don't save things, or sometimes things are lost or they're destroyed. So one of the challenges, but it was not for me as bad with this project, um, is the lack of sources to learn. I think the one of the biggest challenges for me, however, is someone that was technically on the outside working in or looking in. I have to be very careful that it's not my version of Ashland's history that's being told. It's got to come from the kids. That's why when it gets to the most important part about creating the virtual reality tour, that it's their words, their voices, and even their direction of what's being told. Like I know what I would love for the virtual reality tour stops to be, but you know what? That's I'm already seeing that's not necessarily the direction that they're taking. And you know what? That's good. That's the way it should be because it's not my story. It's theirs. And finally, my last question I have for you is, can you share any advice other than the great advice you've already provided for other educators who are interested in completing a similar public history project? Yeah, I think um, I think number one is to do it. And the reason why I said, you know, so many people will look at this and say, oh, that's taken me out of my content. That's taken me out of my standards. No, it's not. Because when you take into consideration our standards, very much ask students to be active learners. Uh, to engage in inquiry. That's exactly what they're doing. And most importantly, the only way to be for students to learn the impact of economics and geography is to experience it in their backyard, because that's going to be their frame of reference. Once you get them to understand it right there in their own community, then that prepares them to take that, that model, that framework in their mind and apply it to New York City. You know, here's the thing too, is that we've so many times when we open up our history books, to teach kids things, we're always teaching it from someone else's story mm-hmm. and we don't see ourselves in it. But when we teach it from ourselves first, then we can go into those history books so much easier because we're going to see, oh, look, oh yeah, our community did that. Now I see how they did that, you know? So starting from the local history is actually the best place to start to do this. So that's why I say, just do it. I think the, the other thing is, is if you're, when you're ready to start this, Take a tour of where you live, walk around, listen to the story. I mean, because we all have stories, you know, growing up, you know, some teachers will tell us little stories or family will tell us those stories. Those little stories are the perfect place to begin because sometimes, even though they sound like legends, there many times is truth to legends. So when you start hearing about famous people that came from your community or whatever it may be, that's a place to start. So I say to teachers, go into your community and look at the architecture. Look at how it's organized. That's my advice is getting to your community, listen to the stories, talk to the people. The big thing for me, finding a a community partner, if you initially don't think you have one, the number one place I want to tell everybody to go to is your local library. If you're not as lucky as we are to have Highlands Museum, then you do have a library and a librarian that can that can help you start. And I think that that's really important. Again, that's that's taking that community because, you know, you know, 100 years ago, the community was the classroom. For our students, that's that is where they learned. But now, you know, with high stakes testing, we close those windows, we close those doors, and we said stay out. But now, all of a sudden, we're realizing that we were creating very limited learners. And if we want people to be part of our communities, we've got to get them back into their communities to learn and to attach themselves. So they want to be there. I want to speak the names of this incredible, and I mean phenomenal, um, social studies department. Um, there is an eighth grade Gretchen Coburn and Carrie Harmon. We have Stacey May and Stephen Branham in seventh grade and Elizabeth Grant and Will Nations in sixth grade. Those six teachers are the ones that are really making the magic happen. Just like I told them every day, I'm the legs and feet and hands, but they are the brains and the magic and it's phenomenal. 
Thank you so much to Kim Sergent for giving us a sneak peek into her creative process. Stay tuned to hear from two of Kim Sergent's students, as well as a representative from the Highlands Museum. Uh, I learned a lot about the factories. I had no idea that we had all these factories in Ashland, and it kind of was insane. Like, I didn't know that I lived in a town that's kind of really historical to Kentucky and all that. Coolest primary source was probably the pamphlet we look at called The Gateway to the East. It, it was basically about, um, like, where Ashland's at and the stuff that's in it. I thought that was really cool because they used to hand those out to everyone, and I, I just had no idea that they did that. It was kind of cool to me. I like using primary sources because it gives you a lot of information and the information, like you know it's factual because they were actually there to experience it. The Highlands Museum is honored and proud to be a part of this project. We desire to be a center for education in our community, so teaming up with our middle school is extremely beneficial to our goals. We have a wealth of sources to assist young historians in their research. These materials will help teachers transport their students to the time period. Rather than only reading about events written by someone born a century or more after they happened, students will use primary sources that were recorded while the events were happening. This will make history real for them. It is my belief that learning about their hometown's rich history will help them bridge the gap between past and present and give them a sense of pride about their community. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you will also listen to other teachers, community partners, and students as they share their impressive public history projects that connect students with their community's history. You can find all the stories on our website at nchieteach.org. This podcast has been produced by Regina Holland, Program Manager at National Council for History Education, and Talia Smith, the Teaching with Primary Sources intern at the Library of Congress. NCHE is a proud member of the Library of Congress's Teaching with Primary Sources Consortium. This podcast contains samples of Bulldoze Blues by Eleanor Ellis and Henry Thomas. It was retrieved by Deanne Arthur and Rick Arthur via the collection of Music Box Project materials found at the Archive of Folk Culture American Folklife Center at the Library of Congress. It can also be found on the Citizen DJ website. Last but certainly not least, thank you so much to all of the teachers, community partners, and students who participated in the creation of this podcast. Until next time. <laughs>